Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. As they went into the tomb, they saw a young man. He was dressed in a white robe and sat on the right side. They were panic-stricken, and the young man said to them, Don't panic. You're looking for Jesus from Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been brought back to life. He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of them to Galilee. There they will see him, just as he told them. And that is Mark chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Happy Easter. He has risen. He has risen indeed. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. And today I'm joined by Evelyn Hosnick. Evelyn, how are you doing today? Very good. It's good to have you. And uh, Evelyn is here today to share her testimony and also uh, to share with me about a book that her and her husband, Wayne Hosnick, wrote about uh, Evelyn's uh, cancer journey that uh, she uh, went through and just how God gave her new life. Evelyn, before we get into that, just start out telling us about where you're from and a little bit about how you grew up. I grew up in North Carolina. Uh, I grew up on a tenant farmer's farm. My father was a tenant farmer, and we started going to church regularly when I was 10 years old, and I came to know the Lord and was saved when I was 10. And so since then, I've followed in his footsteps to the best of my my ability, and uh, he's been faithful to me during all these years. So I wanted to bring that out with our book, which we'll talk about later. Right. And Evelyn, so what was it like growing up on a family farm? And just anything you want to share about that? Well, it was hard financially because my father did not own the farm. So we were on the poor side. I had uh, three brothers and uh, we had a lot of fun as kids just running and playing. And But we also worked very hard. So there were mixed emotions about it. You mentioned that uh, you came to the Lord at age 10. Anything you recall about that or anything that stuck out to you about that experience when you came to accept him personally in your life? Well, we didn't go to church regularly till I was 10. And I remember we came as a family and we were sitting on the back row and we had a lady minister and she was, of course, uh, I don't remember what date it was or anything, but she was preaching about Jesus dying on the cross. And I felt my uh, heart begin to burn, and I had this great desire to go forward, and I um, really could hardly wait till she got through with the invitation before I wanted to just run up there. So I went up and accepted the Lord as my Savior, and uh, even at that young age, I knew there was a big difference in my life. Evelyn, um, I mentioned uh, your cancer journey and your book that you wrote, but just anything else in your life that you'd like to share prior to that uh, before we get started talking about the book and your cancer journey? Well, I went to college, first person in my family to go to college at NC State, and that's where I met Wayne, and we got married, and we had two children. Ben is one of our children, and our daughter, Kelly, who lives up in um, southern Pennsylvania. And so we've lived in six different states, so we've had quite a journey just moving around for different jobs, and Wayne went to get his master's in Massachusetts, and so we've had a typical family, I guess. We've followed the Lord, and we've 
been in many different churches because of our moving around, but God's always been faithful to us and helped us through, you know, all of our struggles. We had the typical struggles of any family, some financial, some relational, and some uh, health-wise, but God's always been there to help us. Right. You mentioned Ben and Yolanda and their kids, um, Anya and Sam. They live here in Harrisonburg and uh, are a part of our church. And uh, your book is titled Unseen Arms. And I know as I was reading the book, it just, you know, stuck out to me y'all's journey and how uh, descriptive y'all were. And I know that you said two of the reasons for writing the book. Number one was to give glory to God for your healing and sustaining you through that whole journey. And also was to bring hope to those who might be facing similar cancer journey, kind of to know what to expect or kind of patient and caregiver uh, relationship in that. If you would like to just maybe start out sharing when you were first diagnosed. And actually, before I go into that, I noticed, you know, you started out telling about before you were diagnosed with cancer, um, you all took a trip out west, uh, I believe on your motorcycles talk about the point of sharing that before you went into your diagnosis? Well, I wanted to start the book with that journey because it was such a wonderful time. Wayne had bought a motorcycle and he started wanting to take long distance trips and I wasn't 100% sure. So we did take a trip. We were living in central New York. So we did take a trip down to southern Pennsylvania to see our daughter and then continued down to Virginia to see our son and his wife and kids. And uh, so that was kind of our practice journey. So later that year in July, I think it was around the 7th after the 4th was over, and we headed out west and we had ideas where we wanted to go, but we didn't really make a lot of plans ahead of time or make reservations. And so what we would do is we would make one night's reservation that morning and then not knowing exactly where we would be, but we would estimate how many miles we would go in a day and then we would make that night's reservation. But um, we actually took our truck and towed the bike to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And there we parked the um, truck in the trailer uh, in a place at the airport. And then we got on the bike and we just headed out west and we had a great adventure. And the thing that stuck out to me when I started writing the book was that how we felt like it was us against the world and how God was with us. And we didn't have any rain. One day it started to sprinkle just a little and Wayne said, let's get out of here. And we jumped on the bike and we just took off and uh, we just had really great harmony during those three weeks. I think I said there were no thunderclouds, no bad words, or by that I mean no irritating words. Uh, We didn't have any conflicts at all between us. And we, you know, didn't try to stay in um, particularly nice places. We just wanted to ride and then spend the night and then ride. And uh, so it's just a really great adventure. And we met lots of wonderful people around the way, on the way. And we found that most every small town has a village green type area. And we would go and park there and get an ice cream cone. And people would come by and talk to us and um, always want to know what we were doing. Our bikes in New York, why are we out here in Idaho or someplace? And so we would tell them and then they would sit down and tell us their stories. So we found the people to be just really wonderful and open and wanting to share and wanting to get to know us. So that was fun. 
Right, and uh, I just, I thought it was neat how you put that in the book at the beginning, totally different from the rest of the book. But it was kind of, you saw God's hand in that time that he gave y'all together to enjoy that before the storm, so to speak, the calm before the storm, so to speak. So start out um, telling us about when you were diagnosed and uh, just kind of the early stages of your diagnosis and what that was like finding out that you had cancer. Okay, well, I had actually written a different opening, and as I moved along, I prayed every day before I wrote, and it just became clear to me that I should go back and do the trip first because, in my mind, that was a gift. It was a gift to us before we would head into a hard time. And so having that time of just being in harmony and being together was was just such a blessing. But then, uh, let's see, it was... That was 2006 in the summer, and then that fall, around October, I started having some frequent fevers that would, I finally dawned on me they were cyclical, and um, so eventually started going to the doctor. I remember in January going to the doctor, and uh, I typically get up either pneumonia or sinus infection sometime in January, so at first I just assumed that's what it was, and I'm also a teacher, and I worked with younger children, fourth grade at that time, and I thought, well, I'm just picking up stuff from the kids, but it never got real bad, but it would be just enough to, I didn't feel well. And I, um, like I said, I would have a fever for two or three days, but it didn't get high. And at that point, uh, that was mainly all of it. And then gradually it started uh, becoming um, just a heavy feeling. I felt heavy. I felt tired. I was starting to ache, sort of like a flu ache type thing. And it was never going away. It was just increasing. But I still, you know, I went to the doctor a couple of times. I couldn't find anything. And so, you know, I kind of just took my Tylenol in the morning and uh, just went with it. But um, I think it was about April that I got up one morning to get ready to go to work and I realized I had a fever and I took a cup of Tylenol and I sat on the couch and I prayed and I just thought, Lord, I can't do this. Something is wrong. So I had to write plans and send them by my husband to another person. And so I called and got an appointment that day. And when I went into my doctor, I just blurted out, something is wrong. I need help. And so he took that very seriously, and um, he was sort of a wait-and-see kind of a doctor, but I thought I had waited long enough. So he started doing all kinds of different testing and, you know, how doctors like to rule out this and that and the other. And so I was tested for lupus and different things. But anyway, a couple of weeks later, I was at school one day, and it was either a Thursday or Friday. It was just before Memorial Weekend. And uh, my husband called. He was out of school that day, so he called me. And um, I said I needed to call my family doctor. And uh, this was at noon, and my children were at their lunch, and I was supposed to go and pick them up and walk them back to the classroom in just a few minutes. So I told him that I did not want to uh, do it right then because the kids were coming. I just didn't want to get into anything. But he continued to encourage me to call, and I could tell that he was upset, but he didn't want to make me upset. And so he said, I, you know, he kept saying, I really want you to call. I really think you need to call. So finally, I said, okay. And I went next door and asked another teacher to bring my students up. And uh, so that only gave me like five minutes at the most. And so I called his office and he said, well, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think there's a good chance you have lymphoma. And then he said, this is my last day in this office. I'm moving to Vermont 
but I have set up appointments for you. And one was to get a biopsy there in Hamilton, which was close to where we lived. And then the other one was to go to a hematologist oncologist over in Cooperstown. So um, I called Wayne back and I told him that I had talked to the doctor and that I was fine and that I would come home. I had two more classes that afternoon and that I would come home as soon as I got out of class because sometimes I would stop and do a little shopping or something. And he was insistent though. He kept saying, I want to come get you. I want to come get you. I want to come get you. And, And so I didn't see the point at that time, but the more he said it, finally I thought, well, if he feels that strong about it, he said, I don't want you to drive. And I think he was thinking it was going to hit me all at once and then I'd kind of fall apart. So anyway, finally I agreed and he said, well, I'll be there as quick as I can. So I had to call the office and make plans for someone to come and cover my classes. And then I gathered my things and went outside to wait for him. Well, I wasn't out there very long and the school secretary came out and I called her and told her I was sick. So I'm sure she was thinking, why am I not going home? But I explained to her I was waiting for him. I did not want to use the word cancer because just like any office or any building, there's a certain amount of rumors going around. And I didn't want to even say that word, let alone have other people saying it and asking me questions about it. So anyway, I just told her I'd be going in a few minutes when he was going to come get me and that we'd come back and get the car later during the weekend. So she went back in and I just paced around and waited. And finally, the vice principal came out. And so I, he just didn't want me to be alone, I guess. So he was talking to me. And uh, finally, I realized I had left my purse in the classroom. Well, knowing now that I was getting a little emotional, I didn't want to go back into the classroom. So I asked him if he would go and pick up my purse and bring it to me, which he did. And I just knew if I went back in, the kids would be wanting to talk to me. And I was starting to lose it a little bit, I guess. So anyway, once he brought the purse out, it wasn't very long till Wayne came and he picked me up and I saw the tears in his eyes. And of course, that made me start to cry. So anyway, we drove home. We were pretty quiet driving home and uh, we uh, got home and then he called um, the kids, both kids. And, you know, everybody was like shocked because I was always a pretty healthy person, I guess, or I just, I didn't have any of those influences that you would think would make you get sick, but anybody can get cancer. So anyway, uh, after that, um, I didn't want to call because I knew I would cry. So then later he called his mother and later I did call my mother. And I think the hard part about that is everybody has a million questions that, you know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And that kind of is hard. So anyway, we, uh, after that, we didn't tell anybody else. But one other thing on our way home, a good friend had called and some people that we used to go eat fish with them on Saturday night. And so I did tell her that, um, you know, I might have cancer, but I wasn't going to accept it yet. And we had to have more tests. And But I made the conversation short because, again, the uh, immense burden of it started to weigh on me and I was starting to recognize that it was more serious than I thought. And uh, so anyway, I just made the conversation with her brief. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that, Evelyn. And just, I can't imagine um, going through that and finding out that and uh, just uh, with all the emotions and having to try to tell family, you know, this hard and difficult news. As I read your book, I know that you and your husband, Wayne, kept a blog during your whole journey, just as a way, I believe, to keep people updated on your, you know, the best way to try to keep a lot of people, I'm sure, cared about you and were praying for you. I know you mentioned that you were on a ton of prayer lists and prayer chains and a lot of people that you didn't even know were praying for you. Talk about that journey of kind of just overall just logging those 
you know, the day to day in and day out experiences and some of the highs and lows. And also, you know, the book is titled Unseen Arms. So just feeling God's presence, how he made his presence felt even in difficult times. Well, the blog came from a friend, uh, actually a chiropractor I went to, had told me about a friend of hers and how she used to blog. And the idea was to keep everybody getting the same information at the same time. And so that, you know, like when you just call somebody, you tell them half of it or they change it a little bit. So we thought that would be convenient for Wayne and myself to give out the information and keep it the same and also keep it fresh. So uh, we started that. In the beginning, I was too weak to even type or really think through a sentence almost. And so he started it. And when I was in the hospital at uh, Roswell Park in Buffalo, he would go down and print out what people had written back so that I could read it. And um, so that was a big part of blogging. I got information back from friends and family. And uh, by now he had a large group following at the college where he taught. He taught at Morrisville College and he had a large following. And then I had people I worked with. And then we had family and friends. And uh, then our family and other people had passed it to other people. And so the prayer group grew exponentially and was very powerful. But several of the highlights was, uh, I only put about three in the book, but when different people, a good friend of mine from work had been woken up in the middle of the night and she had that song, uh, His Eye is on the Sparrow, on her heart. And she knew that was for me. So the next day she sent me that. And I included that in the book because it was very meaningful to me because I knew all the time God was watching me and the unseen arms are about his arms were there around me even when I didn't see them and so God gave me that title he didn't never just say title the book unseen arms but it came to me and I knew it was from him and I knew it was what I wanted and what was saying what I wanted to say so when we actually went to the publisher I said we will not change the title and so they never mentioned it or anything but another couple other times uh, I had a niece who sent scripture and I think it put in where Yolanda sent scripture and some of my favorite scriptures about trusting in the Lord and rejoicing always and some of those that were very meaningful to me and then I tried to in the blog after I got strong enough to do some of the writing myself. Both Wayne and I have a good sense of humor so we tried to you know put some humor in it not to downplay the seriousness of it but just uh, some of the crazy things that happened. And uh, so we did use a little humor. So a lot of times the people writing back would also use humor. Some of them were, you know, more serious, but quite often they would play on something we had said and bring in some humor, which we needed because I needed to laugh and Wayne needed to laugh. And I still believe that scripture says that laughter is the best medicine. So we did, even though it was hard and we cried, we tried to keep our humor alive. And I think that's one thing that helped us through this time. Right. So it's cool that you started the blog to keep people updated But you also found hope and encouragement from others who commented on it and let you know that they were praying for you and sent you scriptures and kept you laughing, as you said, uh, different things just to keep spirits kind of high, so to speak. Talk about how long you dealt with this from the time you were diagnosed till you were in remission, but just a general time frame of how long this uh, journey lasted. I wanted to mention just one more thing about the blog. Cancers are very lonely. 
journey. And with me, because I had the transplant, I had to be so careful of germs and I had to wear masks before they became popular in the last couple of years. So many people were afraid to be around me and uh, didn't have a lot of visitors. We were in Buffalo uh, where we had no family and we were a couple hundred miles away from our home. And so the blog, I think, was a way of being in touch with people. So you knew people cared and they understood. So it helped with the loneliness part of it and all of that. But um, I had the transplant April 12, 2008. And I actually, uh, my cells were engrafted. I had a donor from Germany and um, her cells were engrafted fairly quickly. I, I don't remember. It might have even been three days to a week, but it was fairly early. So that was wonderful. And she was 100% donor. And so that part was really good. And my cells grew quickly. The part that I had a lot of trouble with was called graft-versus-host disease. And that's really just rejection, where your body is trying to reject the donor. And I had a hard time people understanding that sometimes. So I compared it to two people uh, sharing an apartment. You know, you got to get along. Right. And so that's kind of like my cells had to get along with right. her cells. And so what they did, they would have to give me immune suppressants to keep my cells down so that hers could grow. So I had to make room for her. But by giving me the immune suppressant, it made me also uh, get sick easily. Uh, I had only just a few friends that visited me, and they had to wear a mask and gloves. And uh, we did put out on the blog, um, and Wayne put out, he was pretty serious about it. So I really think some people were a little bit afraid to come because they didn't want to bring me germs and disease. But I had a couple of faithful people who did come fairly regularly. But um, the graft versus host lasted, um, I'd say, at least 12 years, and I was on immune suppressants for 12 years. And uh, during that time, the amount would increase and decrease, and uh, it would, um, of course, you start out very high. I don't remember the exact numbers. And then you, the idea is to keep decreasing. So um, as you find that balance between me and the donor, and then there were certain times when it would, they call it flaring. So they would have to increase the drug again. And first time that happened, I felt like I was going backwards and I was a little upset about it. And um, that was another thing about the blog, though. When I would get upset, Wayne would say, go back and read your blog. Look where you were. Look where you are today. So that was a good way to compare and see, okay, maybe I'm back a little bit from yesterday, but I'm still ahead from the beginning. Anyway, I was on the immune suppressant for 12 years, and I finally went off them in 2018. And uh, there was a controversy between the doctors whether I should or shouldn't. And uh, so anyway, I finally, I prayed a lot about it, and I had other people pray. And the one doctor asked me what I wanted to do. This was in Richmond where we went to Massey. And I said, I think I want to try going off. So we did, and uh, I haven't had to go back on, and I haven't had problems with that. I do continue to get sick easily, and I have to be careful. For example, when I go in a store, if someone's coughing, especially if they, you know, if it's a sick sounding cough, I'll go to a different aisle or just kind of avoid people. And uh, I don't get in large groups, although I'm doing that a little more now. But for a long time, I would not go to a parade or any place where there were large groups. Right. Evelyn, I mentioned uh, that I thought a good uh, reason to have you on today, Easter Sunday, was you were talking about in the book and just now about the uh, transplant. And that was new life for you. And you even talked about how the doctors call it kind of your birthday, so to speak. And also I mentioned in the book that one of the reasons, you know, first and foremost was to give thanks to God, but second was to bring hope to those that might be dealing with similar cancer journeys. So what would be something that maybe you would 
want to share or a couple of things to share with somebody that might be listening today that might be dealing with a similar cancer battle or similar journey to give them hope? Well, one reason I put the word crisis in the title, because even though my book is about health and cancer, there are many other types of crisis. So my idea was, number one, to give God glory for his faithfulness. And number two, with any type of crisis, if you keep hope, and of course, our hope comes from Jesus Christ. And uh, so if you can keep the hope going, you don't give up. If you give up on hope, then you're just going to lay down and die or lay down and let people walk over you or whatever the situation happens to be. But um, And I also found out that uh, I cannot control what happens to me. That was one of the hard lessons I had to learn. I was not in control of anything except my response and my attitude. And so I think a couple of things I would advise people is to, it's okay to ask for help. I was not one that liked to ask for help, and I don't think most people are because it's kind of humbling. But uh, most people want to help you. So when people offer to help, if there's something you think they can do, it could be pick up groceries, it could be anything if you have children, babysitting or whatever. But don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to be Superman or Superwoman. I mean, first, of course, go to Jesus who will give you extra strength. But let other people help you. And also, I had to learn to set priorities, and I'm still doing that today. And uh, I used to think I could do everything, and I can't. And so I've learned to think really every day of all the things that need to be done, what is the most important. And so I try to um, try to live by that even today. And uh, the idea of new life. Oh, You're yes. Okay. Spirit, you know, the, right. how they count the day of your, um, I believe you said that the day of your uh, transplant is like a, a new birthday for you. So yes. You want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, they, uh, the, all the medical and the people who do the uh, transplant. Yes, your day that you get your transplant is your new birthday, they call it. So uh, the transplant is like a resurrection because your body, they took me down to zero in my immune system and that's why I had to be so careful to be about sick people and things like that. But yeah, so it's a new beginning. It's a new life, which of course lines up with Jesus's resurrection. And then, of course, when we're born again or when we get saved, that is a new life. So there are a lot of parallels between coming to Jesus and getting saved and then having this transplant, which is a transformation, really, because you're taking an old body and you're adding new stem cells into it from another person that are going to help you come back to life physically. Now, that doesn't have a spiritual part to it with the medical part, but in our thinking, of course, there's the spiritual part and the new hope. And uh, so, yes, it was a spiritual thing for me, although maybe the doctors didn't look at it that way. Right. Well, Evelyn, uh, yeah, it's a great parallel, like you said, to new life, new life in Christ, but also new life in healing. And uh, the parallels are just great. In kind of the last few minutes here, anything else that I haven't asked you already that you'd like to share about the book? Or if there's any experiences, I know at the end of the book, you say that you were only able to touch the surface of the many stories and miracles from this journey. And I know you're still on a journey. Like you said, you have to be cautious around people if they're sick or big crowds, things like that. And uh, so just anything else you'd like to share. And then also, uh, if uh, you'd also like to mention uh, where people can find the book if they're interested in getting a copy and reading it for themselves. Well, I wanted to talk about this from a patient and caregiver's point of view, because 
Uh, Wayne was my caregiver, and he was wonderful, and he knows me better than I know myself now. He can look at me and tell, you know, how I'm feeling, and I mean, to the extreme, much more than before this. We have grown very close through this experience, and we've learned, you know, each other much better. But um, also, I found out that when I did find out I actually had this lymphoma, it's a rare type of lymphoma, and so I did go to the libraries in the hospitals where I was and do research, and there's a lot of medical information available and it was back then in 2008. But uh, there wasn't much information on the actual day-to-day, the thinking or the uh, attitude of the patient and the caregiver. So I wanted to make sure that I um, explain how important the caregiver is because I knew some patients who had like five or six caregivers who took turns or some people didn't have a caregiver at all, and it's very hard. So uh, that's one thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Also, um, We did volunteer for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, so if that is your disease and all the different diseases have societies that help people in all different ways, and many of them have grants and money that you can apply for and receive help because it is a big financial strain, and that was one of our worries in the beginning, but we found that God was faithful, not only physically and spiritually, but also financially. And this book, it was, uh, the publisher is Mascot, but it will be available uh, May 3rd is the grand launch day, and it will be on Amazon, and it will be in Barnes & Noble, and some other local stores, I hope, we're in the process of sending it out to, there will be 10 different stores within a 100-mile radius that will have the book. For anyone who lives locally, I do have some books at my house, and if uh, they want to get into contact with me some way, I can, you know, help them get a book that way. But if you live at a distance, then the best choice would be to get it through Amazon or, or like I said, Barnes & Noble, or even through Mascot. You can get the book through Mascot. And um, I just believe that God wanted us to write this book and, and to share. And also... Um, very few people know about transplant, so I, um, I wanted to stress that this is my experience, and I'm not telling anyone else what to do, but I think to have a general knowledge or a limited knowledge about transplant for anybody that, any kind of transplant, really, a lot of this is true if you get a kidney or any kind of organ. Now, this was blood, but the uh, procedure and the protocol are very similar, so I also wanted to put that out there because I did find out that Very few people, unless you have somebody related to you, don't have a clue about this. Although I am hearing more about people who have people related to them who have had transplants. So it is an up-and-coming thing if it's necessary. Well, Evelyn, thank you for writing the book and sharing your and your husband Wayne's journey and still um, journey even after recovery. And thank you for being willing to join me on today's broadcast of Hope Talks. It's been great to have you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, Once again, the book is Unseen Arms, written by Evelyn and Wayne Hosnick, and you can find that on Amazon starting May 3rd. I pray that, uh, as you've heard Evelyn share about her cancer journey, uh, that today's broadcast truly has been a half hour of hope for your life and uh, just an example of new life. Happy Easter. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon 
1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.